0: Uh, Lovely to be here with you this morning and um, I can't believe that uh, I'm here for the dedication of Michelle and guess what one of my favourite songs is. (laughs) I'm out of the Beatles era so I do identify. I uh, went to my favourite cake shop in... um, in Lilydale, called Lock of Awe. I don't know whether you can see the cake there. Uh, cheesecake, it's got them on a little bit mushy on the top. Um, but I love cake. Isn't that always the case after you've had a heart attack? <laughs> that cake seem even better. Now, the reason i got this cake here this morning is, I don't know, you know that expression, you can't have your cake and eat it too? And um, it is nice cheesecake. Um, I've always struggled with it. I thought, what does that mean? You can't have your cake and eat it too. And then gradually I realised that because my daughter actually brought me one of these particular cakes up the other day, um, knowing my love for cake, and I realised if I take a bite out of the cake, then there's a little bit less of the cake, isn't there? And eventually, if I eat the cake, I can't have my cake <laughs> if I've eaten it and it's here residing in this fat tummy of mine. And it took me ages to get to grips with that silly little statement. Then Stuart rang me up and says to me, well, you speak on this passage which we're about to put up on the screen. And I thought, thanks a lot, Stuart. This is like you can't have your cake and eat it too because I've always got befuddled with these particular verses. Now, let's have a look at them. And I'll read them out to you. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, why do the teachers of the religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? But David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honour at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? The large crowd listened uh, to him with great delight and in brackets, Rob Coyle listened and didn't understand. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Stuart. And I looked at that, see that middle bit there where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, what the hanged is two lords here? And I think that's in bygone days what has really Confuse me. Uh, But what we need to understand first and foremost is that Jesus is talking about the Messiah, the nature of the Messiah, because he says, Why does the Lord say that the Messiah is the Son of David? And yet, for us to understand these verses, um, we really need to understand firstly what the religious leaders view what a Messiah was and how then in actual fact what Jesus is doing here is not treading on their toes but actually treading on their heart with this particular expression. The view of the religious leaders of the Messiah uh, probably wouldn't be terribly different to what your average Orthodox Jew would believe today. I looked up a a website um, called Judaism 101. And uh, it was hardly hardly sympathetic towards the Christian cause. But I thought, well, I'll see what it says about how it defined a Messiah. And this is what it said, very similar to what the religious leaders would have viewed. The Messiah was a descendant of David. Well, we get that in the passage, the Messiah is the son of David. And he was thoroughly human. He was not a fictitious character, but he was a real character. He was human. Secondly, he would be a charismatic leader, inspiring others to follow him. Thirdly, and the religious leaders in their day would have held this view very strongly, he would be a great military leader who will win battles for Israel. But fourthly, and most importantly, and this is why Jesus was treading on their heart, not their toes, above all, he will be human, not a God, not a supernatural being. That's important for us to understand that as we start to unpack this passage here. So how is Jesus stepping on their heart? So in verse 36, it says, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, or as the message puts it, um, God said to my master, or in other words, my Messiah. So God is talking to someone who is David's Lord. It's not David talking here. David's quoting it. But God's talking to someone who's David's Lord. And he's obviously not merely a human being. So this is the treading on the hearts of the religious leaders. And he says... David's Lord sit at my right hand and that one is described as David's master and to sit at one's right hand of course implies that the Lord who was David's master was divine and that he says until I put your enemies under your feet so David's Lord is sitting at the father's right hand He will be all-conquering. Now, the religious leaders would have liked that bit because they viewed the Messiah as an all-conquering military leader. And then it says, David himself calls him Lord. So Jesus is underlining that the Lord is divine and the greatest Jewish king that ever lived, David himself, submits himself to this Lord who is the Messiah. And then Jesus confounds them with this statement, how then can he be his son? He's saying, how can the Messiah, who is divine, be David's son? Because David was a mere human being. And in this process, he is demolishing the traditional view of what the Jewish leaders would have had of the Messiah. Adam Clark actually puts it clearer than what I do when he says this, how could Jesus Christ have been both the Son of David and the Lord of David? This fingers the dual character of our Lord Jesus Christ as both God and man. As man, he was the Son of David. As God, he came in human form, and he was the Lord of David. Now, of course, the New Testament um, and you know this as well as I know this, the New Testament backs up the uh, total divinity and the total humanity of Christ. Jesus was totally human. Um, he cried, he slept, he groaned. He was moved with compassion. He was human. He had friends. He went to social gatherings. He was righteously angry. He he became exasperated sometimes, and yet he was caring and most importantly, of course, he was without sin. I read this verse during the week and I never really clicked on how Jesus actually calls himself human in this curious verse, or well-known verse actually, from John 8, 39 to 40. Listen to what it says. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham." But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Did you get the last bit? Jesus is saying this, a man, that's himself, who has told you the truth. Jesus was totally human. But then again, he was totally God. And again, the the New Testament backs that up. You're familiar with these verses. The Son is the image of the invisible God. 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 So he was totally God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So I'm not telling you anything new. Jesus was totally human, but he was totally God. And as God, He creates the world, but get this, and I mean this um, not in any way as an irreverent uh, sense of the word, but if Jesus blinked or looked at his mobile like you and I do while we're driving down the freeway or coughs, this world would fall to bits because Colossians says he holds this world together. But not only that, not only is he totally God, totally man, human, but he's also totally omnipotent, which is another way of saying totally powerful. Um, Do you remember the the disciples, um, as Jesus ascends back into heaven, they're standing, I imagine their mouths are open like this, you could have backed a Kenworth truck into them, I think, and they're staring up and they're seeing Jesus ascending up into the clouds in heaven, and Mark says, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven And he, what, sat at the right hand of God. And in these verses that we have up here, it talks about him sitting in a place of honour at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet, a place of total power. So what have I told you this morning? One, Jesus is totally human. That's what this... Versus saying two, he's totally God, three, he is totally omnipotent and that is the picture of the Messiah. I just got this feeling I haven't told you anything terribly new this morning. <laughs> but um, it reminds me of when I did French in year nine. I think my mark was 23 out of 100. And like any Year 9 boy, if any of you got any Year 9 children, the relevance of French or any other language, um, just was, it, it just had no relevance to me at all. Probably the most relevant thing I did at school was sport at lunchtime and sport after school. I loved sport and French was totally useless until I went to France. (laughs) And I must confess before you, I am a bit of a Francophile. I love France. I love it. And I wished that I'd learnt (laughs) more French when I was at school. And it's funny. What I've told you this morning, that, that the Messiah is totally human, totally divine and totally omnipotent, can sometimes be to us like a year nine boy taking French. Yes, I've heard that. I know that. But there comes a time when you arrive in your own personal Paris where suddenly you recognise that this is relevant to you today even as you sit on the couch and yell at your kids, even as they open your email and there's an unexpected bill, even as you go to get in your car and it won't start, even as you're on the freeway and you're thinking, when is this traffic going to move? Is it possible that the fact that Jesus as Messiah is relevant in those day-to-day situations? So my challenge to you this morning is to prove that. And there are a number of things that we could say, but I'm just going to give you a couple. The first is, how is Jesus in his humanity totally human? An encouragement to those of you this morning who are sitting here and you're saying, I wish I knew that God's arm was around me. I feel as though I'm in a dark place and I I just want some light. How? How? is it that Jesus, in his total humanity, is an encouragement to you this morning? Uh, You know, it's, it's five years since the Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 was down. I don't know whether any of you watch Australian Story on ABC TV. I've just seen it a couple of times, but I happened to be watching it a couple of weeks ago. And amongst those victims that went down on that uh, plane with three children and a grandfather. The parents of the children, the Maslin children, were actually in Amsterdam. And um, the father, whose name was Anthony, and the mother, whose name was Rin, um, got a phone call. And the phone call was from a relative of the father and saying, please tell me. Your children weren't on that plane that went down. He frantically went to his computer and as he went through what was being posted on the computer, the awful realisation came across him that his kids and his father had died. And he said in the uh, in Australian story, they just wailed. He and his wife just wailed. And alternately, they stood at the window of their high-rise building there in Amsterdam and said they were going to throw themselves out the window. And as each one went to do it, the other one talked them out of it. Can you begin to understand the pain that they must have felt? Uh, just, Just last week... Um, Was it up, I think, in New South Wales? Twins and another child were were burnt to death and a mother and uh, another child survived. Can you imagine what they're feeling? Just 300 metres away from our place, a month ago a guy came flying over a hill on a motorbike and ploughed into the back of a truck and was killed instantly. His wife's a policewoman and uh, survived by two children, two small children. She's just had a baby. Can you begin to imagine the pain that people feel like that? C.S. Lewis says this, as only he, C.S. Lewis, can say it, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. Can I just gently and caringly ask the question this morning? I wonder if you're sitting here this morning and you have a broken heart. You're sitting here this morning and you say, I know what you're talking about, Rob, in terms of mental pain. it may be that some of you sit here this morning and you've been in physical pain for a long time. You don't talk about it, but, but it's there. Or maybe it's some kind of mental pain and you feel as though your head's almost in a vice that's, that's tightening moment by moment and you just wish it would let up, but it won't could be relational pain within a family where situations will just not be resolved. Or sometimes it's a loneliness which is just a deep throb that just won't seem to go away. And my point is, is, that, is that for all of us, pain is part of life. In fact, it is one of the key stumbling blocks, isn't it, as to why people turn their back on God. If God's a God of love, they'll say, why has he allowed such and such to happen to me this morning? And it's not just a non-Christian who says that, it's you and I, at some point of time in our experience, we can say such a thing. I'm I'm about to do. You might like to pray for our church. I'm about to do a series of three on suffering. Be a happy little time, won't it, um, at our church? And I've done a heap of reading on this whole issue of suffering, by people who are far brighter and cleverer than me, and um, I'm still trying to work that stuff through. But you know what? It gives me comfort. That Jesus, in his total humanity, walked this earth. And as he walked this earth, how did he respond to people who are in suffering? You remember that remarkable moment. This here's this funeral procession going down the road, and here's a, a woman and she's walking you can imagine her walking with her head bowed and tears streaming down her eyes. She's a widow, she's only got one son, and she's at the absolute end of herself in deep pain, and Jesus steps in in that suffering. And here's here's another woman, she's at his feet, she's about to be stoned because she's an adulteress. How shameful she must have felt about her own behaviour. And Jesus steps in again and in the midst of this suffering of this woman, he steps in and intervenes. Here's a man and his straw coming down and falling all over the audience's head and he's being let down. (laughs) A man who for his whole life has been paralysed. What's suffering? And Jesus steps in. I do not know completely the answer to why in terms of suffering. I can give you theological answers. But this I know that Jesus in his total humani- humanity will walk with you in your pain. And what's the significance of that? Because Jesus himself suffered and felt pain. Well, what's the significance of that? That Jesus, in his total humanity, and yet totally divine, suffered. I read, um, this is to impress you, that I read about theologians. (laughs) There's a theologian by the name of Jürgen Moltmann, and he talks about what would it be like to have a God who had never suffered. listen to what he says. Just bear with me. I think you'll find it significant. A God who cannot suffer is poorer than any man. For a God who is incapable of suffering is a being who cannot be involved. Suffering and injustice do not affect him. And because he is so completely insensitive, he cannot be affected or shaken by anything. He cannot weep for he has no tears. But the God who cannot suffer cannot love either. So he also is a loveless being. If you are immune to suffering, then you cannot be involved with people and you cannot love. Therefore, only a God who suffers is a God who loves. And so obviously God feels our pain. Jesus feels pain. Whatever pain you are feeling this morning, he knows about it, he feels it, and he walks with you in it because he is totally, as the biblical Messiah, totally human. He's not a divine computer in the heavens, totally removed from your pain that you're going through. He's with you. You can't see him physically next to you, but he's there. Because he is totally human. Well, what about the fact that he is totally God? How, how does that encourage us? That uh, Jesus, as the Messiah, was not only totally human, but totally God. Colossians says, you know this verse, uh, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I want you to get those words all the fullness. Of God, um, greater men than me have used this quote: that God, that Jesus was one hundred percent human. If he was any less, he would not be able to identify with what we go through. And yet he was one hundred percent God. And so, what does that mean? Not only was he totally God, but he was totally omnipotent, which means he is sovereign. Which means he is all powerful, which means, well, let me read you what Piper says. He is sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. He is never helpless, never frustrated, never at loss. And in Christ God's awesome sovereign providence is the place we feel most reverent, most secure, and most free. So what's how does that affect us? That Jesus is totally God, totally omnipotent and at the same time has control of everything. What's, what's, what's that mean to us? Um, I told this story when I was out at Hurstbridge just a month or so ago, but I thought I would relay it to you. One of the glories of being retired Um. I'd hate to tell you what my scores are on golf, but I live in Hillsville and there's a golf course there. It's a really good life. (laughs) Anyway, I was out with one of my mates. who happens to be a pastor up in the hills. And uh, we play. Well, I'm playing tomorrow with him. We uh, we play every fortnight. And um, when we arrived, he was not happy. I don't know how many times pastors must feel this, but he got one of those emails that just didn't make his week as a pastor look very bright. And um, when we started to play, he was hitting that ball about as good as his email he'd received. <laughs> and that baseball was going all over the place. He was going shocking. But I was on fire. <laughs> and i try to be humble. <laughs> And at the same time, I'm trying to encourage him. Oh, never mind. Never mind. The next shot'll be okay. So by the time to get to the fifth, fifth hole, I'm a million strokes ahead of him, and I'm just going so good. At, and I um, <clears throat> I'm about, I suppose, about from here to the back wall away from the hole, and I had to lift the ball up over this little, little bush, and this is an eight iron. So that'll lift up, land it on the green. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going so good, this is going to... So I, I line it up, and I go back, and, um, and I hit the ball. And as I, as I come through to hit the ball, and if you play golf, you'll identify this, you're meant to get underneath the ball, actually. But I came through, and when I hit it, I hit it on that bit there. And that's sort of like hitting a golf ball with a, a baseball bat. And it went like a rocket about two metres off the ground, it's going like a a missile, and then bang! Right through the windscreen of my golf cart. (laughs) And I, I walk up to the golf cart, and there's a little white note there on damages to the golf cart, right? And one of them is, windscreen, $350. Um, you need to know. You'll be glad to know that my mate's golf improved incredibly from that point on. <laughs> I'll give you a guess which way mine went. <laughs> it 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 was just totally unexpected because I was playing so well. Um, you know, unexpected things in terms of golf cuts. Well, I suppose it does cost you three fifty bucks, and it took me about eight, eight holes to recover. When I was thinking about what I could do with that 350 bucks, <laughs> But unexpected things on the fifth hole aren't all that important. But how do you handle the unexpected? You expected to fall pregnant, but you didn't. It just hasn't happened. You expected that you'd be married all your life, but it hasn't happened. You sit across the desk from the doctor and the doctor gives you news and you weren't expecting it. And I I could go on. Have you had something unexpected happen to you recently? You see, at such moments when the unexpected happens, the question is, do I believe that Jesus is totally God and totally in control. Because you have one of two reactions to the unexpected and that is you can yell out in your heart or even out loud, what is going on here? And you can get swallowed up by the unexpected or you can come to the point where you say, my Messiah is sitting on the throne and he is in control, even though I do not know why this is happening. And if you've had one of those weeks or one of those years even, where the unexpected has happened, then your choice is whether you're going to believe that the Messiah is totally God and totally omnipotent. You're facing your own personal whole five experience, aren't you? What's the choice that you and I are going to make? Let me finish with this. Is there anyone here, there's got to be, on a day like today, anyone here who has a child three years old? Three. Anyone? What's the name of your three-year-old child? Ari. Okay. There's Ari up there and Hello Ari. (laughs) Now if I got Ari and I won't do this course. If I got Ari and I said, okay, Ari, stand up there. Okay in the chair. You probably know the answer to this better than me. I say, okay, and now Ari doesn't know me. I say, okay, Ari, jump. Now he doesn't know whether I'm going to catch him or I'm going to go, ah, <laughs> but let me tell you, when I had three-year-old children and I had three, Kim, Jamie and Nicole, I did this with them. And I'd stand them up there and I'd say, come on, Kimmy, jump. And without a second's thought, she would jump. Same with Jamie, same with Nicole, the whole three of them. Now, why is it that my children would jump and maybe Ari would hesitate? And the answer is simple, isn't it? They know I'm their dad. They know that I love them. They know that I'm not going to drop them. And our Heavenly Father stands here this morning and he says to you, Will you jump? and trust me with the unexpected, as the God who is totally in control. You prepared to jump? Why don't you bow your heads in prayer now? And in the quietness of this moment, if you've been letting anxiety and those kinds of things overwhelm you. Will you quietly say in your own heart now, Lord, I'm going to jump. I'm going to trust you. Will you do that? Lord, I'm going to jump. I'm going to trust you. Lord, you know every heart that is bowed before you this morning. And I ask, Father, that you would bring encouragement to each heart whether in pain or whether facing the unexpected, that you as our great Messiah understand and want us to jump by trusting you. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you.